Well, good morning. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be studying verses 13 through 21 together this morning. This morning, um, we're bringing to a close, as I indicated earlier, our first John study. Um, next week, we'll cover 2 John. And then on September the 13th, we will cover 3 John. And now September 13th is going to be a pretty big day for us as a church. Um, our worship times are going to change. So for you, my friends in this room, you're going to have to rally and, and show up about 15 minutes earlier, okay? I know that's going to be a challenge for a few of us in this room. Um, but we'll start this worship hour at 845. Our second worship hour will be at 11. And then we will be bringing back our growth groups during that middle hour between those two services. So um, pray that you will you'll be here for that and that you will get plugged back into um, your growth group. Um, we will do growth groups from preschool all the way up to adults. So we'll have everything back on campus. We'll be practicing to the very best of our ability, social distancing and everything. So your classrooms may change up a little bit. Bill is going to cover that later on in um, uh, a meeting with um, our teachers um, this, this afternoon. So um, in the coming weeks also, we'll be bringing back our Wednesday night activities. Also on September the 13th, um, when you came in this morning, you noticed um, the table set up, Compassion International, Compassion Sunday. On September the 13th, um, we're going to have the opportunity to, to partner with Compassion International. Many of you are familiar with Compassion. It's very much like World Vision, and, and I know that some of you also partner with other organizations that sponsor children. Um, and through these sponsorships, you help provide um, them with a meal or multiple meals every single day, as well as education, as well as health care that they need. On Compassion International website, they share, we believe that no child should live in poverty and that the best way to release children from poverty is to do it in Jesus' name through the local church. And so we're going to be able to partner with this great organization. I'm looking forward um, to that. And so that Sunday is going to be a, a, a little bit different emphasis for us through our, our morning um, um, sermon and, and just looking forward to that. Um, just so you know, there are, and I know many of you already know this, but there are over 400 million children that come from families that live on less than $1.90 per day. In these homes, children die every single day from preventative causes like malnourishment, disease, and sickness. So by us partnering with Compassion, we will help um, rescue some of these children that live um, in, in such poverty. In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, we've looked at this um, in this series, but these are the words that John penned. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, the Lord has blessed us with much. Now, I pray that through this Sunday, um, we, will, we will be able to, to um, bless children around this world. Our, our message um, this morning is entitled, Essential Truths Every Believer Should Know. 
So in 1 John 5, 13 through 21, we read these words. I write these sayings to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, and his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. The little children, keep yourselves from idols. John is telling us this morning that you and I can know the truth. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning again, Lord Jesus, just, Father, coming together around your word now. And Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we bring First John to a close this morning, Father, that you will just speak to each and every one of us in this room. Reveal to us your truth, Father. Reveal to us how we should respond to your truth. Father, I pray that even in this room this morning, if there's someone here that has yet to enter into a personal relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, just move now during this time of our worship service, Father. We thank you for our, 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 our song service, and now as we come around the word, Lord, just continue to speak to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Notice our first point this morning. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at six different truths this morning. Our first truth is this. You can know that you have eternal life. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This first truth John communicates as he brings this letter to a close is the very truth that we've already looked at. What we're doing this morning is kind of wrapping up 1 John. Okay, John probably sat down in one setting and penned this whole epistle, this letter to the church. And, and he, most of these churches probably would have read this in one setting. Um, for us, it's taken us all summer. And so what John is doing, though, is he's wrapping up this epistle this morning. So some of the things that we're going to cover this morning, we've already covered. Um, as we've talked about already, John kind of sounds like a broken record sometimes, doesn't he? A couple weeks ago, we looked at how he used the word love about 30 times. This morning, he uses the word no about seven different times. And so he is trying to pound in our thick skulls this morning these essential truths that you and I can live our lives by. The words John penned, again, are on the back end of this great epistle. Now, you and I know that many, many people, okay, um, claim to be Christian. Our first point is you can know that you have eternal life. There's many people that claim to be Christians. Um, they, when a national census is done, um, they check that box Christian. They may show up to church on Easter and on Christmas Eve or maybe a couple of times throughout the year when someone asks them, hey, um, what's your religion or do you go to church? They'll say, yes, I am a Christian. They're Christians in name only. Okay, you know people like that? 
You know, people that are Christians in name only, I think all of us know people like that. What John is saying to his readers and and us this morning is that you and I can know that we have eternal life, not because of our association with the local church, but because our lives reflect, reflect Christ. We look different. We, we act different, we love different, and we serve different, right? There are some distinct marks of a Christian that is different from those that are part of this world. Right here in 1 John, as well as in many, many other places in Scripture, we see clearly those who believe in Jesus and those who have been transformed by Jesus have received the gift of eternal life. This is not a hope that we have. This is not a wish that we have. This is not a longing of something that might be. This is an absolute truth. We can have, as believers, a absolute knowing and understanding that we indeed are followers of Jesus, that we are believers in Jesus, that we have been given the gift of eternal life. Brian Bill um, wrote, if you are saved by the Savior, you will be safe with the Savior. You can know that you have eternal life. You can know this because of the transformation that has incurred in your life. You can know this because you've repented of your sins and you cried out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. And you can also know that you're a believer in Jesus because your life is going to reflect Jesus and not reflect this world. In the early part of this study, we looked a lot at um, lawlessness and darkness. We can easily see people that are associated with this world, can't we? We should also be able to easily see those that are associated with Christ. As believers in this room, this world also should see that we are associated with Christ because our lives look different, we act different, we love different, and we serve differently. Notice our second truth this morning. is this. You can know that God God answers prayers. In verses 14 and 15 we read, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we walk, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. John has already communicated in 1 John 3, 22, that God answers prayers. Okay, he answers prayers when we keep his commandments and we, when we do what pleases him. But in this passage um, and, and, and um, this morning, we, we also see that there is a third requirement for those that, that um, are going to have their prayers answered. And this is this. God answers prayers when we ask according to his will. When we pray unselfishly instead of selfishly. I think all of us in this room have prayed selfish prayers, haven't we? We prayed those prayers where it's all about what I want and what I desire and what I hope for, and it's not in accordance with the will of God. I've shared this illustration with you before, but I had a professor in college while I was at Hardin-Simmons. His name was Dr. Shields. He was a brilliant man, and he liked to show off his brilliance whenever he gave tests. Okay, um, I believe it was my first year at Hardin-Simmons. I was a junior, um, and when it came to this first test, I kind of slept a little bit, okay? I didn't study like I should have. In fact, I probably didn't study at all for it, and I remember um, being remorseful for that as I walked into that room because I knew what was about to happen, but I remember also praying a prayer, and it was probably a prayer similar to this, Lord Give me the ability to, to, um, to 
to do well on this test, and if you do, I promise you I will never pray a prayer like this again. Okay, I prayed something similar to that, um, and that was a flat-out lie. Okay, God knew that, um, because I think all of us have probably prayed selfish prayers, and we've turned around sometime later and prayed a selfish prayer as well. When we get into that classroom, Dr. Shields was a godly man, and, and he said, men before, and women, um, before we begin this test, I want to pray for you. And man, for me, I was like, I need all the prayer that I can, be, can get. And I'll never forget this prayer. Dr. Shields prayed, Lord, give them the ability to recall that which they have studied. Okay. At that moment in time, I should have put my pen down on my desk and walked out of that room because it was hopeless. All right, You see the difference between the two prayers. Dr. Shields, he prayed in accordance with the will of God. He wanted each and every person in that room to be rewarded for their studies. I, on the other hand, I prayed a prayer that was all about me, all about my want, and all about my perceived need. How do you pray? Do you pray for your will to be done, or do you pray for the will of God to be done? Daniel Aiken points out, nothing we ask for lies beyond the power of God, except that which lies beyond his will, his purpose, and his plan. George Mueller once said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. God is not our personal genie in a bottle. He does not dispense um, answered prayers like a vending machine might dispense a, a soda. He dispenses answered prayers when we pray prayers in accordance with his will. Um, we, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be open. When you and I live in accordance with his will for our lives, our prayer life is going to reflect that. And when our prayer life reflects that, we're going to begin to pray not selfishly. We're going to pray unselfishly in accordance with the will of God. Notice our third point this morning. It's this you can know the consequences of sin. I think all of us know that there's consequences for sin, right? We've had to live with our past mistakes. But notice what John writes this morning. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Here's what we see in this next section of Scripture. This is actually a section of Scripture that has created um, many theological arguments amongst people that are a whole lot smarter than I am. And I'm not going to venture off into debate this morning. I'm going to share with you what this passage says and not what this passage does not say. First, we see here this morning that there are two types of sinners. Um, and I think all of us are in agreement. All of us are sinners. Every single one of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, probably if you're like me, you may have even committed a sin this morning already, even though it's early. It's only about, what, 940, but there's probably been at least um, one of us in this room that have sinned, okay? If, <laughs> hey, Justin, 
hey, you need to come up here, sit front and center. Justin just did this to his wife. Can you believe that? I think that's a sin. We're going to look at that in just a minute, Justin. That's coming, brother. That is coming, right? Just wait. Verse 17 affirms this morning that all wrongdoing is sin. Not some wrongdoing, not most wrongdoing, not just the big wrongdoings, but all wrongdoing is sin. And, and, and sin separates us from God. Just one little sin separated all of us from God the Father. And it wasn't until we repented of our sins and asked Jesus to forgive us of our sin that we were set free from the curse of sin. All of us were at one time or another, or were, were, were there at one time. All of us were on a collision course with hell before we were gloriously saved by our glorious Savior. Here is a promise we have in Scripture. All who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ will be given the gift of eternal life. The reality, though, is not everyone is going to repent of their sins, right? There, there are hundreds of millions of people across this planet today, billions of people throughout human history that have died a sinner's death. When they took their final breath on this side of eternity, they were not greeted by a glorious Savior, but they, but they entered into eternal death. All of us know people, unfortunately, that have, that have died not knowing Jesus. Um, all of us know people today that if they don't repent of their sins before they die, they're going to spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. There are um, billions of people like that today. We as believers have a responsibility to go to them and to share with them the good news of salvation. So we see that there are two types of sinners, okay? There, there are those that have repented of their sins and those that have not repented of their sins. There's two groups of people. There are those we are commanded to pray for. Notice verse 16, it says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. First, this passage does, um, does not call us um, to point out people's sins, Justin. Okay? Know that. All right? Um, we're not supposed to do this to our wife especially. Okay? That gets you the doghouse. All right? Um, we're not supposed to um, point out, like, I could stand up here and just um, have fun just calling out people's sins. Now, I wouldn't, I don't know your sins, but I could do that. Who's going to be honored by that? Absolutely no one. We're not supposed to point out each other's sins, especially in, in rooms like this, okay? Um, but what we have been commanded to do, though, is to go to our brothers and our sisters who have committed a sin um, that they have not repented of and, and lovingly encourage them to get their lives right with God, right? We're not supposed to gossip about them. We're not supposed to announce with a megaphone the sinfulness of our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to encourage them to repent of their sins. We're, we're told here again, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. We also are to pray 
for one another. We're to pray for each other's sinfulness, okay? We're to pray that the Lord will bring to light our sin, and we're also to pray that God will protect us from sin as well. John goes on to say here, there is sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. What kind of sin leads to death? And this death it's talking about here is not just physical death, even though sin does result in physical death as well. It's talking about spiritual death here. But what, are, what is a sin that leads towards spiritual death? Unrepentant hearts and a denying spirit. A person that fails to repent of their sins, um, they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Also, a person that flat out denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God also will spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. Um, and all of us know people like that, that don't believe in Jesus this morning. We know people that if they were to die today because they have not repented of their sins, also will spend eternity separated from God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? If you don't, in just a few moments, I want to share with you more about how you can know for sure that you are a follower of Jesus. Notice our next point, and, it's, and our fourth truth is this. You can know that you are protected. In verse 18, we read, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Okay, again, well, praise the Lord, we got lights. Um, again, we looked at this like in week one or two. You and I will never be sinless, okay? But we can certainly sin less, right? We're never going to be sinless. To claim that you and I are, are, are sinless, as we looked at in one of our studies, is to, is to call God a liar, because all of us are still going to sin, Okay? But hopefully when we sin now, we're remorseful for that sin and repent of that sin. Okay? And hopefully we also don't sin as much today as we did before we entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But in this passage of Scripture, there's three truths. Okay? Um, a person born of God does not keep on sinning. Okay? And what, we're, what, what that's talking more about is habitually sinning. Sinning the same sin over and over and over and over, okay? A person born of God is also protected from the enemy. That's good news this morning, isn't it? It's good news to know that you are protected this morning from the enemy. And also, the evil one does not touch a believer. Each of these truths gives evidence of a life that has been saved by Jesus Christ because we have been saved by Jesus and pursue after Jesus. The devil no longer rules supremely over our lives. Jesus does. And we can know that Satan may reach out for us in an attempt to grab hold of us, but he will never be able to. There's a, there's a painting it's kind of like a spiritual warfare um, painting that I've seen. And I'm sure that some of you have seen this too. But it, but it shows like a, a, a believer um, that is nailed down by a bedside. And then there's all these um, demons and things that are surrounding that individual. They, they, demons may be surrounding us, 
trying to get at us, but they will never be able to harm us again because we no longer belong to the world. We never, no longer belong to the devil. We belong to Christ, and we have been set free, and there's freedom in Christ. Satan may try to get at us, but we're protected by Jesus. The evil one may try to touch us, but he will never be able to get us because we are protected. Notice the fifth truth. You can know that you belong to God. In verse 19, we read, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There are two groups of people in this world, those who belong to God and those who belong to the evil one. Before we came to Christ, we were influenced by the evil one, weren't we? We were under his spell. We were under his power. We were under his influence. And we know that Satan is a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's a snake. He's the father of lawlessness. He's the father of division and war. We know um, all the stuff that we're seeing across our television screen and across our internet today when we see lawlessness and rioting and looting and, and murder and hatred and vileness coming out of people's mouth. That is not from God. That is straight from the devil. That is straight from the, the pit of hell. We know that Satan is out to attack us. He's out to influence. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that those who belong to God are protected by God. There is nothing within this world that, 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 um, that the devil is going to be able to do to get us to fall under his spell again. When we became followers of Jesus, we began to live our lives for him and not for this world. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we read, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I mean, think about your life today. How is your life different today than it was before you became a Christ follower? Now, if you accepted Christ when you were five or six years of age, I, I promise you were more like me. You've committed worse sins after Christ than you did before Christ, right? Um, but hopefully you can see as you have grown in your relationship with Jesus that your life looked different as a follower of Jesus than it would if you were not a follower of Jesus. Mike Kelsey shares this illustration. Um, it's a story about Augustine, who was a fourth century bishop in North Africa. Um, and, and he shares this story that, that Augustine lived a very sexually immoral life before he became a follower of Jesus. But one day he was walking down the street um, sometime after he became a Christian, and one of his former mistresses ran up to him. And when he saw her, he turned and walked the other way. Surprised, the woman called out, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine kept on going, and he yelled back in reply, yes, but it is not I. That is what our lives should be like, right? Um, when the world comes attacking us and reminding us of who we once were, we just simply remind them of who we are today. We're not still the same person that we once were. We are set free by the blood of Jesus. Galatians 5, or Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We live for Christ now. Notice our final point in the sixth truth this morning. It is this. You can know the truth. That's our message point this morning, and that is our closing point this morning. In verses 20 through 21, we read, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him 
who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. With the son comes three things according to this passage, knowledge and understanding. In James 1.5, we read, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. As believers, we have the source of knowledge living within us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in us. And what does this passage of Scripture tell us to do? When we, when we hit troubled times, when we um, even um, go through uncertain times, when we go through life's storms, as we sang about even this morning, um, what do we do? We go to the Father and we pray. And we ask the Lord for wisdom. We ask the Lord for discernment. We ask the Lord for understanding and knowledge as we're told in this passage of Scripture. And what are we told in James 1.5? That if we ask, we will be given it. We're also told here that we have a relationship with God the Father. John 1.12, John penned this in his, in his gospel. Yet to all who received him and to those who believed in his name, they have been given the right to become children of God. As believers this morning, we are children of God. We have been brought into a relationship with God the Father. And that's good news, isn't it? That's good news to know that we are in a relationship with God the Father and we're protected by God the Father. And we also see here that we are given assurance. Once a child, always a child. Once a follower of Jesus, always a follower of Jesus. We read in our opening time this morning, John 10, 27 through 30, but let me read it to you again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Who can snatch you out of the Father's hands? Who can snatch you out of the Father's hands? No one, right? No one, because you belong to God. You are His. I am His. We are His. We are protected by Him. Notice in conclusion this morning, John gives us a warning. As he closes out this passage, closes out this book, he says, little children, Keep yourselves from idols. Why in the world would John tell this group, uh, these believers, this church to keep themselves from idols? Because he knows the influence idols have on our lives, right? I mean, think about all the idols that, 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 that we have at our um, fingertips on a daily basis. Our relationships can become an idol. Our spouses can become idols. Boyfriends or girlfriends can become idols. Sports, work, stuff, houses, cars, toys, money, everything can become an idol. What is an idol? An idol is anything that we place on, 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 on the throne and worship instead of worshiping God the Father. All of us get there at times in our lives where we give greater attention to the things of this earth than we do to God the Father. And that becomes an idol. And John warns against that. You and I need to be aware of that and guard ourselves against worshiping other things and allowing other things to be 
to, to take um, precedent over our relationship with Jesus. And closing this morning, let's just um, wrap up these six truths again. You can know that you have eternal life. If you question this morning, if you have eternal life or not, I'm going to be standing down here, and I want to help you know for sure that you have eternal life. Or you can catch me after service, and I'd love to share with you more. You can know that God will answer your prayers. When you and I pray in accordance with his will, when we keep his commandments, and when we obey him, God is going to answer us. We can know that sin has consequences, and we can also know that there is freedom when we repent of our sin. We can know that we are protected by God, that we belong to God, and we can also know the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. If you don't know the truth this morning, I want to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with the truth, Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus this morning? If not, why not? Let's stand together, and I'm going to close this in a word of prayer this morning, and then we'll enter into a time of invitation. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you now, Father. Lord, just thanking you, Father, just for, um, Father, again, for the opportunity to gather around your word this morning, to gather and, and worship you this morning. Father, I thank you for this study through First John. I thank you for allowing us to wrap this up this morning. Father, I thank you for the promise of that we are not only protected, but we can also um, know that we are secure in you and that the devil cannot get to us anymore because we belong to you. We are yours. We are your possession. And we thank you for that, Lord. There may be someone here in this room this morning that doesn't feel that confidence this morning because maybe they haven't repented of their sins. Maybe they haven't cried out to you to be Lord and Savior of their life. And if, if that may be the case this morning, I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you will, Lord Jesus, just draw the lost unto yourself. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.